And good morning again to you. I welcome you. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and to my left is Pastor Matt the Rabbi Davis. I'm so thankful for Matt being up here as well. We've got such an important message this morning. You see the somberness of this uh, music behind the birth of the baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph. It's such a heavy and difficult, challenging passage in Revelation 12. It takes two of us to carry the text of today. So we want to welcome you to a very challenging message where we see the reality of what God had to deal with beyond what we could see from the birth of the child. There's something else that is raging around. So we'll unpack that for you here this morning. Matt, good to have you up here as well. Thank you. Uh, it's also really good to be up here with you, Dave. Uh, I don't know if you guys read the paper, but uh, this morning in paper in the local section for Orange County Register, Dave, you were highlighted. This is really big and awesome. So, yeah, not bad, right? Pretty cool. So maybe later you could sign my iPad. Uh, that'd yeah, be fantastic. I would love to sign your. I would love to sign your iPad. Thank and, you. Uh, could you sign my motorcycle? You could put uh, yeah. something Jewish on there. You so betcha. I can, I'd love yeah. to do that. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. I've been waiting for that moment. You couldn't see it. It's a picture of me in the chapel across the courtyard there. A uh, long time ago, I preached a message, Noah is a rebel in his time, and I rode my motorcycle right here, and half the church left. But it was really <laughs> great. It's good. We made sure it was empty over there. Hey, yeah. uh, today's a little bit different. Uh, we're, we're talking about some, some things that maybe don't fit your typical narrative of what you think of when you think of, about Christmas. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, Satan and the red dragon and, and his role. But before we do that, uh, I, I just want to show you uh, and play maybe a little bit of a game and interaction here. Uh, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. And so, Dave, I'm going to just kind of quiz you a little bit. Um, so I, I have some pictures up here on the screen. All right. All right. Um, so you can see there are four animals, but one of them is not like the other. Can you pick which one doesn't yeah. belong? And especially for you, this is kind of an important one, right? Yeah, I'd have to go on a limb, but I would say it's the cat. It is. It's very unlike those loving dogs that are up there. That's, that's right. You are, you're a cat person. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> not quite. All right. Good job. All right. Good. We're going to go on to the next one. Uh, we have four more pictures. These are all kind of modes of transportation. Uh, can right. you figure out which one? Well, let's see. Uh, it's a tough one. I would guess that tanks don't fly, so I would go with a tank. How many of you guys think that Pastor Dave is right? Good job. We're two for two. Congratulations. Right. Now we're going into my realm, all right? I'm going right. to just quiz you a little bit more. Uh, one of my favorite things, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, Coast 103.5, all the Hanukkah music that comes on. Love it's fantastic. Hanukkah music. You bet. Can't get it's great. That. Yeah. Actually, didn't happen. And I know, sorry. It's not that great of music yeah. anyway. It's all right. So uh, <laughs> out of these four pictures, uh, we got a menorah, mm. dreidel, dreidel latkes, and uh, a shofar. Which one? All right. Well, I'm going to have to uh, go with a shofar. I think that's uh, not uh, necessarily blown at uh, Hanukkah. Yeah, that's actually true. That is for the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. Good job, Dave. Right. You are yes, three for well, three. That's, that's right. Here is the last one. All right. You see Christmas tree. There's a mm. manger. There's a big red dragon. And... Uh, Got some shepherds and angel there. Oh, boy. Can, it, can you help me out? What do you think? Uh, Pulling a lifeline right now. Lifeline. Red dragon. Christmas it's the, tree. It's the tree. They're saying the Christmas tree. They're, they are. I'm going to go with the, the audience. You, Christmas tree. You chose correct. All right. Congratulations. 100%. What do I win? You win the second half of this message. Oh, okay. So all you right. get to go sit down. Don't use up all my time. All right. Okay. Bye, Dave. Thanks. Good job. Thank you, Dave. All right. Hey, uh, 
Open up your Bibles. If you don't have one, we have one in the seat back in front of you. You are welcome to read from that this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take it. But we're in Revelation chapter 12, an unlikely passage. A lot of times when we look at the Christmas story, we're in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Today we're going to hit this from a completely different perspective. We are talking about how Jesus is over Satan. And I will tell you that Satan did not want this message to be shared this morning. It has not been an easy week here at Calvary Church. Um, We want to just introduce this. And in a second, uh, I'm going to show a video. Uh, it's a music video, and I just want to give some, like, warning. Uh, if we have kids, or even, like, if you've gone through a battle scene, um, I'm going to show a video because what we're introducing and what we want to expand our minds and open ourselves up to is this idea, this concept that we are at war. And so this video has some kind of graphic war content, and, and there's really, honestly, just no way of tempering it down to make it palatable for all of you. So uh, we want to kind of confront that and, and jump into that. But before we do that... Uh, we want to look at this passage. So Revelation chapter 12, I want to start in verse 1. And we're just going to look, my part here, uh, verses 1 through 6. So join me. It says this, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, she's pregnant, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman that was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. We're going to look through some of the characters and give a little bit of definition. But before we jump into that totally, I want to show you this video. It's by a guy named Dustin Kensrew, a local worship leader. And this is this picture that we just read set to music. Watch this. This is called This is War.
we look at the Christmas narrative that's being told even secularly in our culture and it's about doing good things to people and we we come around and it's time for family and feasting and we have the presents and the tree and and for us as Christians we're trying to redeem the story and I see that we're we're trying to reclaim this story and and say it's about far more than all of that really like let's let's center in on this baby and the manger and and let's let's talk about Jesus this this God become man to save the world and I don't think that we have gone far enough because the picture that is painted in Revelation 12 is this picture that this is war that the enemy does not like what is going on here and Jesus makes his way onto the scene in a surprise attack and so we have to take this to ourselves and we have to think what is it that is my call it's 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 about you got to picture the like the, the troops storming the beaches of Normandy like the arrival but it's not like silent night holy night all is calm all is bright there is a battle that is being waged in heaven and on earth and many of you have felt the battle you know the tension you feel the angst that is the enemy coming after you And we have to step into this because this battle is one that when we decided that we wanted to give our lives over to Jesus Christ, that now we have inherited a new enemy and he's after us. I have a friend, his name is Dalton Thomas. Uh, he's from Florida. And just a couple months after his brand new baby was born, he took his family and they moved to Kurdistan, Iraq. He wanted to be on the ground and see what is going on, to be able to help with the refugees and be part of now, right now, as we speak, there is a war to take over Mosul from the the ISIS fighters that have occupied the area. And so he's there and he's equipped some ambulances and he's there on the front lines. And that is the picture as they are assembling that they are going into battle and they are going into war. In fact, other cultures and other narratives tell somewhat of the same story. Even in Egypt, there is this story about a woman who is pregnant that will give birth to this Savior. And if the Savior can only live for three or four days, it will have enough strength and energy to overtake the serpent or the dragon. You can go. There are several cultures that are telling this story, but this is our story and this is our Savior. And so let me just tell you, as we look at this, John is writing what he sees. This is a vision, and it kind of paints this timeline of salvation history. He goes all the way back to the beginning, and he's going all the way to the end. And he's saying, pay attention. And a lot of it, just you read it, and you're all, man, this just doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me tell you what we are sure of. Okay, now let's move on. We don't know everything, but I want to point out some of the characters. And if we look in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 12, 
it's talking about a woman who is clothed. And there's a great sign that appears. This is the first of seven signs that will take place over the next seven chapters in Revelation. And this sign appears and there's a woman and she's pregnant. This woman is representative of Israel. That out of Israel, out of a faithful Israel, that the Messiah would be born. And this goes all the way back. And I love when we can take passages that kind of connect the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. But you go all the way back to Genesis 37. And Joseph has this dream. He has this vision. And, and we have a lot of the same words that are being used with the sun and the moon. And there on her head there are 12 stars. It's, it's referring that she is Israel and that, that we have the, the, the stars are the tribes of, of Israel and and this picture is being painted all the way back from Genesis 37. You can look at that. It's in the outline in the notes there. Um, but there is this war that is battling on. And I want you to understand from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is aware of this battle. And that he will overcome Satan's attacks here on earth. Now God has always sovereignly planned for Christ to come through Israel. From the very beginning, this was part of his plan. And this goes to Genesis chapter 3, if you even just go there for a moment. After the fall, after sin had entered the world, Genesis 3.15, there is a curse put upon the serpent. And this is what it says in, in verse 15, chapter 3 of Genesis. I will put enmity or hostility. There will be struggle between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. One is a fatal blow to the head. The other one is an injury. This is referring of Christ to come. At this point in the salvation story, God knows that a rescuer needs to be coming. And it needs to come from Israel, from the line of Jesse, from the line of David. And all throughout this history, the enemy has been trying to thwart this attack. But from here, this is the very beginning. They actually call this Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel. The gospel is laid out right here in the first chapters of the Word of God. And now being referred to again at the end of the book in Revelation. And so this story continues to unfold. If you look at this, um, we have now in verse 3 another sign that appears. Now Satan has always planned to destroy Jesus. Yes, the story finishes with Jesus is over Satan, but all throughout history and even now and even on into the future, Satan is after Jesus. It says that there's a sign that appears and a great red dragon. This, this term red dragon is used 13 times in the book of Revelation alone. Having seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems. There's a reference going back to Daniel 7. This is the fourth beast that is talked about in the book of Daniel. And prophetic and it's coming in power and authority and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he would devour this baby. All throughout history, this has been Satan's plan. Satan was the one that instigated. Satan has been the one, his schemes, he's been whispering into the ears of mankind, saying, follow me because I want to destroy the seed. I want to destroy the child. Look, and you can look on this on, on the back of your outline. Um, we have listed out there starting in Genesis 6. But even before that, Satan moved Cain to kill Abel. Satan moved Pharaoh to kill all of the Hebrew babies so that he could destroy a nation. There would be no more Jewish people and then there could not be a Messiah that would come from. 
Satan moved Saul to try to kill David. Satan moved Athaliah to destroy all of the royal heirs of the kingdom of Judah. We'll talk about that story on the other side of the new year. Satan also moved Haman to plot a genocide against the Jewish people. And Satan whispered into the ears of Herod and said, destroy all of the Jewish babies in the town of Bethlehem. Probably at that time, there were maybe 20 to 30, is what the theologians say, 20 to 30 babies that were killed. Which, I guess I always thought in my, in my head, like hundreds and hundreds, but like there's probably about 30 to 40 babies in our nursery. Just think about the devastation to the, the community and the people of Bethlehem. But God, again, whispers into the ear of Joseph and says, become refugees, flee from here, go to Egypt and live until Herod is gone. Herod is the one. God, uh, Satan is using Herod and saying, destroy the seed. And even after that, when Jesus comes back, there's temptation in the wilderness. If only you could get Jesus to sin, he would not be perfect. He could not be a savior. And even at the cross, that crushing blow, but to the heel, he came back and he was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God. This is the war and this is the battle. All throughout history, David Platt, a pastor down from the south, he says this, The birth of Christ on that day in Bethlehem inaugurated the death of this ancient serpent, just as it had been promised back in Genesis 3. The birth of Christ declared the death of the ancient serpent. The death of Christ defanged the adversary. He is a beaten foe and he knows his time is short. We need to give him his due, but don't give him too much. And out of this, there is a king, Jesus, our Messiah, who comes as a baby, but he comes as king. And he comes that we might be saved. And if you go out and you play out the rest of the story, even in verses 13 to 15, 17, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. You can read about some of God's pre preservation that God is going to overcome and he is going to help the people of Israel. He's going to preserve his people. All the way down to verse 17, it says, The dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is... The plan and he's coming after you and me and he's coming after the believers who will follow into the future but this baby who came it says would rule with a, a, a rod of iron it talks about that in psalm 2 it talks about that at the end of the story in revelation 19 that jesus when he came he came to wage war and he came that we might be free we have to put our trust in him Pastor Dave is going to come up and he's going to share, what is it that our position, what are we to do? Do we just go hide in a bunker or do we take up arms and do we fight? This is what he has to say. All right. Thanks, Matt. It's great. It's good to have the big picture of all that God has uh, endured and overseen throughout the history of our world. We also know that there's a war that's happening right around each of us. We are in the midst of it. And we're going to be talking in this time about this whole image of Christ putting our trust in Him and seeing the victory that He can help us to have over the enemy who are the demonic beings, the satanic power that is truly at war around us. I'm going to read from C.S. Lewis to set that up. C.S. Lewis was an atheist growing up. <clears throat> he didn't come to Christ until later. He actually researched 
who Jesus is, is he for real, can we trust him? As a result of that intellectual search, God revealed Christ to C.S. Lewis, and he gave his life to Jesus, committed his life, trusting in him, and then wrote terrific books that helps to defend the faith that we proclaim here week after week. In one of his books that I recommend to you called The Screwtape Letters, it tells the story of this uh, sort of father demon mentoring the younger demon in how to destroy Christians. And in that book he writes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Really easy to go one way or the other. We're going to try to cut it right down the middle and show you that in this particular passage, as you've already heard, there is a war that is going on and there's a war that's right around us. Let me pick it up. In Revelation chapter 12, we read then in verse 7, and there was a war in heaven. Much as there was a war on earth when the baby Jesus was being born, there was also a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. So what we see are the two powers of evil and good. Satan was a perfect angel created when Michael, the archangel, was created. Michael and Satan, in some way, you might say they're brothers. They're not literally that way. But they were created both by God, and they were perfect beings in their first creation. Somewhere in the course of history before Genesis chapter 1 was ever recorded for us, Satan fell from his perch. He wanted to be like God. His pride destroyed his heart, and he fell from God, and he took about a third of the angels, the good angels, with him. So as a result, now we have two powers that are at work. We have Satan and his demons. They are evil angels. And we have Michael, who is the archangel, one of the most powerful angels there is, and the good angels. So there's this war that is going on between the two. And here's something I, I want to really uh, try to help us to understand. I'm trying to understand it myself. How you and I live our lives, the angels watch. Satan is watching. The demons are watching. Michael is watching. All the angels are watching. In fact, we're told that there are times when we are entertaining angels, and we don't even know it. But how you and I live our lives for Christ proves to either the good angels or the bad angels whether God is truly the God. Because Satan says, I don't believe you're truly God. I'm going to become God in your place. Michael the archangel says, no, he is truly the God. Now watch how believers live their lives because their allegiance to the true God, no matter what happens to them, will reveal that he is worthy of our trust. So there's a spiritual war. There is this good and evil that is all around us. How you and I live out that life helps to empower the good angels to glorify God or sometimes it supports the bad angels, the evil angels, who say, I told you so. You can't trust this God who created us in heaven. So there is this war that is taking place and therefore we must trust in the power of Christ to overcome it, and here's some of the points that he wants us to understand. We need to acknowledge there is a spiritual war that is raging around us. Satan is evil angels, Michael and the good angels, they are battling. We can't see them, but they are out there. Ephesians 6 says this, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes. That's a Greek word. We get the word methods. He has methods that he uses to attack us. 
the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not material world that we struggle with, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So somehow there is a heavenly existence where good and evil angels are battling, and you and I are going to sometimes be the victims or we're going to be the victors over that battle. We also read in 1 John five nineteen, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We live in a world that Satan controls. Just as sort of a simple little illustration of that, uh, yesterday morning I had to get up really early to ride my bicycle, as I like to do, and I ride my road bike out Santiago Canyon Road, and if I can have enough time, I'll go all the way to Cook's Corner. It's a great ride and uh, refreshing. Well, yesterday morning there was tremendous winds that were blowing in, the Santa Ana winds, and it filled up my pool with leaves. And I'm going to make this offer again because still no one has taken me up on it. I have a pool I will literally give to you if you just come and take it. It would free me up from doing what I had to do last night. So I'm riding as the wind is blowing against me. I'm riding against the wind, and it's tough. There was at one point I almost literally came to a standstill because I couldn't push through that gust of wind. And as I was riding that, I was kind of thinking about this Revelation 12 and what we're going to be talking about today. And that sort of struck me that there's so much of what we believe in there's so much of what we want to practice. There's so, much, so many of us that want to be faithful to Christ. We want to live that life. But it feels like there's always resistance because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's like we're always riding into the wind. And God says, persevere in your faith. Endure to the very end. Push through that. Now, we don't do it in our own strength, as we'll see. It's the power of Christ in us that gives us the capacity. But it's still a resistance we feel. And I was thinking to myself as I was riding out east on Santiago Canyon Road that the beautiful thing that I was waiting for is that eventually I was going to turn around and then I'm riding with the wind. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great if every day it's like you're riding with the wind. Someday in heaven... We'll always feel like the wind's at our back because everything comes easily. But even with the power of Christ, he gives us this capacity to, to resist and to stand firm, to know that there is a resistance against us, and we push through it, and Christ will honor that faithfulness because we live in a world that the evil one controls. And we see the elements of that. We see the aspects of that being pushed against us. I can't see the wind, but I see the effects of the wind. I can't see the devil, but I see the effects of the devil as he tries to kill, steal, and destroy you and me and cause us to stand still in our faith and not keep moving forward. We need to overcome that because Jesus is greater than the evil one in the world. We also must trust in the power of Christ because he is the one that gives us the capacity to push through that. And it says in the verse 8, And they, Satan, were not strong enough, Satan and his demons, because there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. I don't know when this timeline is of Michael and the good angels 
Satan and the evil angels doing battle, and then finally Satan is pushed out of heaven. We don't know exactly when that is. We think it's probably towards the latter days of the history of the world. In the latter days that we often refer to as the tribulational period, Jesus called it the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. But there will come a day when he is finally dismissed from heaven. His power is finally ruined by the power of Christ in a very vivid way. But now he has access. Like in the days of Job, he would go before the Father in heaven and says, I bet Job won't follow you if you somehow caused suffering in his life. Well, Job did because he was a righteous man. And somehow Satan is still out there lurking, trying to destroy you and me. But we need to know that Jesus will overcome him at some point because 1 John 4, 4 reminds us this great truth. You are from God, little children, and overcome them, the evil, the, the antichrist, those that were impersonate followers of Jesus. Because greater is he, Jesus, who is in you than he, Satan, who's in the world. So Christ wants to give us the power to resist and to push through, to conquer, to overcome, to have the victory that we all want. He gives us that power. He wants us to have that power. And so we need to be aware that Satan is relentlessly attacking us. He wants to do all that he can to take us down, and he's constantly trying to overwhelm us with defeat. Now here's some of the names that are used in Revelation chapter 12. And it says in verse 9, The great dragon was thrown down. The servant of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. For he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. These names for Satan and his demons are interesting. The word dragon, it comes from a root word that means to have keen sight or insight. There's some of the imagery of this red dragon that says, I see you, I observe you, I am aware of you, I know what your weaknesses are, I will go after them, I will try to take you out. That's the meaning behind calling him the red dragon. He wasn't literally looking like a red dragon, but he has all the manifestations and the character traits of one who sees us. We also see that he is called the devil. The word devil means accuser. He is constantly accusing us. It says in Revelation 12.10, he is accusing us before the Father day and night. We are constantly under this guilt complex of the accusations of the devil who wants to take us out because we feel like, I can't live this life. I am too overcome by all these things that I can never have victory over. I am too, too much captured by the sins and the destruction of a satanic force in my life. So he's accusing us. He's called Satan. The word Satan means he is an adversary. He will oppose us in every turn. He will be there to stand between us and what God calls us to do. But we know we have the power of Christ in us who's greater than he is. Then finally, he calls him a serpent. That goes all the way back to what Matt talked about in Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent came, and 2 Corinthians 11.3 describes it, the serpent came to Eve and deceived her. To make her think eating of the fruit of the tree would be a good thing. To make her think disobedience from God will actually turn out well. To make her think that I can sin and there won't be any consequences that come from it. That somehow this deception of the heart and the mind fools us into actions that ultimately lead to a downfall and destruction of our lives. We've seen that. 
you know, Matt referenced it's been a tough week here at Calvary Church, and it has. He didn't say this, but his laptop that he had all of his sermon stuff and his, his briefcase that he had all his extra notes on was stolen from his office, and uh, Matt's, that's why I said, he's, he's so good, he doesn't need all that stuff because he's got it all in his heart. But we had six other laptops that were stolen this week. It's just aggravating, you know what I mean? It's aggravating. Because you're trying to do good, and there are evil influences that are trying to do bad. Let me take one that's more sobering and, frankly, much more troubling. Here at Calvary Church, we really have high standards for those of us in leadership, and really for everyone, but especially when leadership, James 3.1. Those who teach to be held to a much higher accountability. And I'm saddened that I have to read this, but we still love him. The head of our school, Troy Watham, came to us and announced his failure in ways that, as he said, disqualifies him from the role of leadership here in our church. We accept his resignation. We certainly ask for prayers for Troy for his family, for Calvary Christian School, for Calvary Church, because we're going to move forward. We're going to be stronger. We're going to be better. We're going to do those things that God still calls us to do. But it's a reminder. It's a sobering reminder. And this is not the first time I've had to make an announcement like this up here. But it's a sobering reminder that we are at war. And the enemy is out there trying to take us out trying to discourage us, trying to dissuade us from persistence and faithfulness, trying to undermine our faith and our diligence to be righteous before God. And then when the serpent says he came to deceive us, it's interesting, one of the things Troy said to me, he says, I've been living a lie and deceiving others. That's very troubling in so many so many ways, obviously. It reminds me a quote I like to make from a theologian that you never find in sin what you enter sin to find. You ever heard that before? I've said it here many times. And it seems like it doesn't always get through to everyone. It seems as though sometimes we think I can get away with it, but it's part of that deception that I can indulge in this behavior, I can expose myself to that issue, I can allow these areas in my life, and no one will find out. But God says, but I know. So we live in this war where it becomes very personal and becomes very discouraging at times, but we will fight on because Christ is in us and he wants to give us the victory. So we need to turn to Christ and his authority to overcome these things, that he's... He is going to ultimately destroy the evil that is out there and the one who is behind all the evil that is taking place. Let me read Revelation 12:10. It says here, this is almost like a, a worship hymn that is given to us. It says, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, that's you and me, the accuser of our brethren, that's the devil, the accuser, has been thrown down. He will be cast out. He will be defeated. He who accuses us, them, before our God day and night. And they overcame him. We overcome him. 
Those in the last days who are martyred and those of us who frankly live today, we can overcome him. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So there are two things there. Two ways that Christ gives us the capacity to overcome those things that would destroy us, take us out, defeat us in our faith. Number one, it's the blood of the Lamb. It's not something we work up. It's not some sort of a special plan or a special procedure, a new policy that somehow gives us the victory. Not a sermon. Not some techniques. It's the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. That is, Christ came into my life. He fills my life. He cleanses out my life. He transforms my life. He changes me to give me capacity that I otherwise would not have. And that's why we don't like to preach this kind of morality where just work harder to achieve those things the Bible says. We say, come to Jesus. Let Jesus give you capacity that you never thought was possible. Because he loves to come and heal, restore, renew, repair, to reconcile those things that are broken in us. So we go to the Lamb of God. That's why Hebrews chapter 2, 14 is so great, especially for Christmas time. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, we have flesh and blood. He himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. So the beauty of the birth of the child, the baby Jesus, who became flesh and blood and feels and smells and touches all that you and I experience, that through death he might render powerless Satan who had the power of death, that is the devil. So in his birth, then his life, but most importantly on the cross when he died and his blood was shed and he was buried, he rose again the third day, that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us power. That's what makes Satan powerless if we fight the good fight and allow Christ into our lives. We go against the resistance of the wind, but we know that in Christ we will overcome it. And then secondly, we overcome it by this commitment that we make. It's not just sort of sitting back and just Jesus comes in me and I just don't do anything about it, but I respond to that. I respond by faith, most importantly, that I trust in Jesus. But then I make this commitment, I make this vow before God that these people made there in those days. He says, we did not love our lives even to the point of death. By the word of their testimony, by living out the testimony of their lives, by truly taking those steps that is a response to the power of Christ, I let the power of Christ then flow through me to accomplish what I could never do without Jesus. So without Christ in me, those words of testimony, that commitment to the point of death, it's meaningless. But in Christ, he gives me capacity, and he asks and invites us to take steps that makes a difference. Now, we're going to receive communion now. But as communion is being prepared and the folks are getting ready, and I'll even invite the band to come on up here, I want to draw your attention to something that is on the back of the outline and, and really make a keen point about this. One of the things that Christ invites us to do is to trust in him as our Savior, to confess our sins to Jesus Christ and let him begin to change me to become this new person because he comes in, the blood of the Lamb makes that possible. But then I need to be alert to the ways of the devil. On the back of the outline, I put 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We're not alone in this battle. We all deal with it. It's all part of the life that we live. But he says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. And I put below that what I believe are some key verses that are areas that the demons want to take us out. For example, in Acts chapter 5, be on the alert to this lies and deceit where I think I can fool everybody, but God knows the difference. And I cover up, I pose, I pretend, and I'm not for real. I'm fearful of people finding out, so I cover it up. But God says, when you, when, you, when you reveal it, I give you freedom. And 1 Corinthians 5, remove sinful behavior and sinful influences in your life. What are those things that are causing me to be tripped up? What do I need to correct and change? Where do I need to reorient my relationships in so that those things are not this corrosive effect? Then in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, One of the things that Satan loves to do is to bring sexual immorality to destroy our lives, to destroy our relationships, to destroy our marriages, destroy, in some cases, our children. I just want to... Every church I've been in that I've had the privilege to pastor in Corona, Lodi, right here in Calvary, one of the things I keep seeing, and I'm going to mention it not to be obsessed, but to make a point for today. The whole area of sexual immorality is sometimes and oftentimes seated in pornography. I want to challenge any of us who are maybe tempted to indulging in, stepping into that world, that dark world of pornography, that so many times I see the destruction that comes out of it. And that we pretend, we deceive, we think it's me, it's private, I'm not hurting anyone. That's simply not true. You're destroying your heart. And when your heart gets corrupted, everything else around it goes to a destructive force as well. Let me just invite us to come before God and say, God, here are areas that I want to come before you. And let the blood of the Lamb change me for good. Free me up if there's anything like that, and the others that are listed there, that God give me that deliverance that I can come before you and have the victory to know that Jesus has overcome the satanic, demonic influence in my life. Because Jesus came for that reason. That's why he came, to set us free from that stuff that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. So we're going to bring our elements before you. The bread, it symbolizes that precious body of Jesus that was so so torn up on that cross and then the cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ that precious blood that blood of the lamb that John writes about in Revelation 12 that blood of the lamb that causes new life to be born into our lives so if you've never confessed Christ as your savior we invite you to do that now just say Jesus forgive me I put my faith and trust in you alone and make that commitment to Christ to say, Lord, help me to walk the walk. You've called me to walk today. Let's use this time, this memorial of the bread and the cup to remember Jesus and the life he invites us into. Father God, we thank you for these elements. We're thankful for the bread, the cup, the symbolic value 
of the precious life of Christ, who was born in flesh and blood, who died a miserable death that we deserved to give to us a new life. Thank you, Father, for these elements that keep us remembering Jesus and his precious life. And we bring it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.